you know, you could tie your partner up or even tell them to hold their hands behind their head and don't move them until you give them an orgasm with your mouth. And so that's a form of control. That's like, oh, someone's like taking control. Someone's controlling my orgasms and I'm in psychological bondage. I got to just stay here till they tell me otherwise. Talia and welcome to the Rebel Love Podcast, where each week I'll bring you a new episode exploring love, sex, relationships, and money. Join me as together we question, explore, and strive to understand. Well, hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the Rebel Love Podcast. Today, my guest is Luna Matatas, a sex and pleasure educator with over 10 years experience teaching sexual health and empowerment workshops. She celebrates body confidence, self-adoration, and building shame-free pleasure in and out of the bedroom. She teaches a wide range of topics, including threesomes, BDSM, butt stuff, and sexual confidence. Her advice on sex and kink has been featured in Playboy, Cosmo, Advice, Women's Health, and Pornhub. Luna created Peg the Patriarchy and Meditate, Medicate, Masturbate brands as part of her line of sex positive and feminist merchandise. Hi, Luna. Welcome. Hi. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited. Yeah, me too. I am super excited about this interview. Thank you so much for being here. I really, really appreciate it. Um, Before we get started, I'd love if you could share a little bit about your journey and how you got to be where you are now. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I was always interested in in sexual health kind of stuff, but I started out mostly from a public health perspective. So working with disease reduction, lots of condom demonstrations. And those were were great because public health has such an access to conversations around sexual health. And so I taught those kinds of classes all over the world in Eastern and Southern Africa. And I'm based in Canada and places in the US. And no matter where I was, people were like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But how do I get her to eat my butt? Or how do I get him to do this thing? Or how do I do this? So they wanted conversations around pleasure. And I could talk to a lot of blue in the face about condoms, but they wanted to know the how to relate to each other. And this is something that's missing from so much of our sex ed. So I really saw an opportunity to have those conversations. And I started going to sex workshops and feminist shops and thought, this is amazing that people do this. And I taught my first workshop. It was actually how to have a threesome. And it was at a feminist sex shop here in Toronto. And it was it was amazing because I thought, wow, there's no classes like this right now. There's nobody talking about this. But, you know, people must kind of want to know it's such a popular fantasy class was sold out and it's still my most popular class. So people really want this opportunity to also help them bring their fantasies to life without shame and with some confidence. Yeah, absolutely. I, I am not surprised that class was sold out. People want to know. Um, actually, it's interesting to date. Uh, my most popular episode is um, something about BDSM Cup Queen. So people want to know this information. So you are definitely in the right market. <laughs> it's so, so sought after. Um, well, I'm really excited today because we're going to talk about exploring your kink with sexual confidence. So um, there's lots of questions I, I want to ask you about um not hurting people's feelings, but we'll get to that in just a second. For everybody listening, uh, I just want you to know that I am a huge fan of Luna's content. I stumbled onto you on Instagram and I just love the way you speak. You're incredibly confident and it just is, it's so encouraging to see and so lovely to see. Just like, oh my gosh, thank you. So what I love about Instagram is you get all these amazing, strong female, uh, 
role models that I never had growing up. And I feel like, you know, the way that I view my body, the way that I feel about myself sexually is so much more um, confident and enhanced by being around, you know, creators like you. So thank you so much for that. It's just, I I feel really excited that you're here today. Oh, that's um, so inspiring to hear. That's awesome. Because for all the dick pic DMs and like all these kinds of things that we have to do by putting ourselves out there, I love hearing this inspirational connection, community building stuff. Thank you. Oh, it's amazing. It really is. Like I was, I was saying to my friend, like, I think, um, I was like, what, what changed? And I mean, and I was like, you know how you can curate your social media now. So I see, you know, bodies that look like mine. And when I was growing up, I was just around a bunch of skinny white girls. So I was always the big girl, the big person. And I just didn't see that. And I always thought it was wrong. So I made myself wrong for being that person instead of just going, well, hang on, it's not wrong. It's just different. And it's still beautiful. Lots of people love it and you can love it too, Talia. So it was just a really nice, um, you know, it's so beautiful seeing all these beautiful, confident women. And also as well, um, you know, other women saying about after birth, you know, people celebrating their bodies after birth because you can do so many amazing things with your bodies. And that's so incredible that our bodies can do that. So anyway, I don't want to get on too much of a rant, but <laughs> um, so on your website, you mentioned that you teach people how to build better relationships with their bodies, practice empathy with their partner's insecurities and needs. And, and also you teach them how to get curious about their erotic imagination. So I'd love to break that down a bit. And um, let's start how we can practice empathy with our partners, insecurities and needs. Where is a good place to start with that? Yeah, I love that that you want to start there, because I think that's something we need to be teaching in high school sex ed. And that's something we need to keep relearning as adults as we start to develop relationships in different ways as we grow. And the empathy piece comes in where we all kind of come into sex. Most of us having had really shitty sex ed in high school, most of us kind of learning from porn or like word of mouth, broken telephone, you know, from our friends. And so sex is a skill. And so most of us haven't had that opportunity to learn things like, how do I talk about my desires? How do I navigate body shame? How do I figure out what this person likes and what this person doesn't like? How do I know when to do the thing and when to stop doing the thing? How do I know I'm good at sex? So we have all of these, you know, self-judgments already brewing the moment we start to connect with someone sexually, whether we've been with them for one night or even, you know, people who are in long-term relationships with the same partners, they also feel these same insecurities. And so one really great way to build empathy is to take the performance piece out of our, our sex. You don't have to go in and be good at sex. You don't have to do the thing the way that porn has shown us to do the thing. So it's really about like coming in as your full self. And that might mean saying to your partner, hey, you know, I love the things we do. It's so fun. I just want to put out there. It's kind of hard for me to speak up in the middle of things. Like I feel shy about asking for what I want. So I just want to put that out there. Another way might be asking someone to support you in a really specific way. So it might say, um, you know, I kind of check out. I have a hard time getting into my body and out of my head. And so I would love it if you could just see if I'm checking out or you notice me, you know, kind of drifting. Can you say breathe or can you remind me that, hey, like we're here or can you say a cute word or call me a pet name or something so that I come back into the moment. So empathy is, is part kind of putting ourselves out there and saying, hey, 
these are my insecurities and my sexiness I'm coming into this space with. And I welcome yours too. Like, is there something you're nervous about? What are you anxious and what are you excited about? You know, how are you feeling about your body today? How are you feeling about what we we usually do? Do you want to do something a little bit different? So it's bringing this like air of mindfulness into your sexual interactions every time you have them. Mm, I love that because I feel like there's a difference as well between just kind of having sex. Sometimes people can switch off versus having that intimacy. And I feel like even that conversation is intimate, right? Because it's vulnerable and it's, yeah, wow, that's really, really powerful. Thank you so much. Um, okay. I just, I have, I have something that's coming up for me that I want to ask you as well. It, let's say we're feeling insecure about our bodies and we notice mm-hmm. our partner, I don't know, I don't know if judging's the right word, but like, sure. yeah, we feel some judgment from them and which kind of is, I guess, a little crushing. How do we, um, how do we navigate that? Because I, I mean, I'm sure that's going to shut down, shut us down instead of open us up. Yes. Yes. I think um, a lot of us have learned in those moments where we we start to notice someone's judging us or, you know, we want to retreat. We want to, like you said, we want to shut down. We want to tame ourselves, edit ourselves. All of a sudden, we don't feel as free to be as big in our bodies or as loud or as sweaty. And uh, those are the moments also where we can betray ourselves emotionally. You know, we might not want to continue with stuff because we kind of lost our mojo. We lost our sexiness and we might just go along to get along because who wants to be the person that like gets in their head about their body in the middle of sex and calls an end to it. Right. So a lot of times it does encourage us to actually shut off that part of ourselves and go forward. And over time, that gets us really disconnected from our body and from what feels good and from what feels like a genuine desire, a genuine arousal. We start to shape it around being protective over this part that we shut down. And so if you're feeling kind of a ways about, I feel a ways about my belly. And so if I notice that maybe my partner wasn't touching my belly as much, or maybe they were kind of avoiding it or eyeing it or something, um, I, I think I'd need to take a break. And so it really helps me to know that I just take a break from the complete situation and I go to the bathroom. I might just say, oh, hey, I need to freshen up because that moment where you can check in with yourself and not worry about performing or being accountable to the other person at the same time as figuring out like what's going on. That's always an option for you. For other people who are able to kind of get grounded in the moment, that might mean communicating with your partner. And and it's about owning your, your insecurity as well. And so, yes, your partners can affirm or they can judge you. But really, at the end of the day, it's it's not so much about getting more attached to the affirmation and validation of other people. We really need to come to a place where we may feel you know, upset about our bodies or happy with our bodies, but that that doesn't sort of get in the way of us feeling that we are, you know, beautiful and fundamentally good enough. And that's where the the trouble is. So I, I have a ways about my belly. And if someone were to talk about my belly, you know, 10 years ago, I'd be crushed. I think I would take myself off all the dating apps. I would like, you know, go back to like flowy clothing. I'm wearing a crop top right now. You know, this is me 10 years ago is not going to have that. And, but me now is still sensitive about my belly. And if someone were to say something about it, I might feel instead that this person isn't actually here supporting my best interest. So I either need to say something about it or change the situation. 
So that, that, that might mean taking a break or ending things or coming back into the moment a different way and grounding yourself. But it's important mm-hmm. to acknowledge when that stuff happens that we have to show up for ourselves in a way that helps guide us through that that wound, that kind of you know soft vulnerability that comes up and that wants to be liked, wants to be affirmed. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, because we tend to tie the way we look to our worth because of, you know, society and (laughs) all of the crushing (laughs) pictures that we see and standards. So, uh, okay. That's, that's awesome. I have, I have a friend who, um, she always used to say to me, Talia, my worth is not determined by my weight. And, and she, she actually got diabetes and she did, she did everything she could to lose weight and she lost weight. I don't know how many pounds, but she lost like 20 kilos Mm-hmm. in um in a very short amount of time because she was just like okay great I've got diabetes I'm gonna do what I need to do to lose weight and I was like wow good for you like and she's like I feel completely different but she's like I don't feel any more or less sexy to my husband he, he found me just as sexy before as he does now it's you know and I loved that I was just like oh my gosh thank you these are the conversations that I want to be having with people who are you know are not basing everything off the way they look but I know that young people, particularly like you said, 10 years ago, and also my younger self as well. I remember having these conversations with myself. Oh my God, I'm so this, I'm so that. Now looking back going, oh my gosh, what was I complaining about? Yeah. <laughs> I know. I'm like, why didn't I just appreciate it? Yeah. Younger me didn't have a beard. I don't know where this beard came from, you know, like. <laughs> I have the stomach thing too. Younger me did not have a tummy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All yeah, right, and so, I think it's um, important to to recognize that, like what you said, is so important that there there is this connection between our ourselves and uh, who we are in in appearance. And sexually confident people actually, we don't care about rejection or favor. We're n- we're not interested in that because I come into a space already like feeling myself. Not 100% of the time, all the time, but I know how to come home to that place now through daily practices. And and the, that kind of energy coming in being like, hey there, I'm feeling myself, won't you join me, is so much more mm. empowering because my cup is already full by the time I meet you. And you get to get mm. the overflow of my sexiness and never <laughs> you're never getting the core. That's for me. That feeds me. Mm, I love that. And also that is incredibly attractive. You know, it's incredibly yes. attractive being around somebody who's so confident in themselves because you're like, oh, I want to be part of that bubble, you know? Yes. Yes, absolutely. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I remember when I was younger, this guy came up to me and he was so suave. He was just like this skinny guy with this curly hair and he came up and he really gracefully asked me out. And I couldn't, I couldn't say yes for some reason. I don't know if I was in a relationship or I was seeing someone, but, or something like that, but he was so graceful. And he, and when I said no, um, and I, and I was like, just taken aback by how confident he was, he was like, no, no worries. Like he even said a very suave, like no worries, maybe next time. And then he just strutted out and I was like, whoa, that was amazing. What an, and I still remember to this day, I'm like, I loved that guy's confidence. He was just so sure of who he was. And yes. it didn't matter that I said no because he didn't feel rejected. Well, it didn't look like he did anyway. He just was, he just owned it. I loved it. It was amazing. Okay. So how can people build, let's say we are, you know, our, ourself 10 years ago, what would we say? What would you say to yourself to build a better relationship with your body 10 years ago? 
Yeah, I think um, it's so important to tap into something other than what you look like as your focus. So what are you good at? You know, what kinds of skills do you have? How does your body move? Do you like to play? Do you like to dance? Do you like to sing? What are the ways in which you express yourself through the faculties of your body? And, And for a lot of us, this gets so disconnected. It gets very much about this is all I have, especially for people who are women or who were socialized femme. I mean, the patriarchy really sees us as objects of decoration. And so we start to internalize that objectification and treat ourselves as ornaments. And that's not true. You're so much more interesting than what you look like. And there, there is this erotic kind of disconnection that comes from when we disconnect from the self. And so we get into erotic spaces and we think it's all about like genitals and like who touches what and puts what where. And so really good practice is to start to get to know your body through self-pleasure. And whether that's masturbation, whether that's that's even just like touching your body in a sensual way. It doesn't have to lead to orgasm. You will figure out the pathways to pleasure for your body at your pace. And it doesn't have to suit the way that we stereotypically describe sex, which is pretty much a lot of like penis and vagina or penis and anus and like BJs. And sex is so much more than that. It can include that, but it's mm-hmm. so much more than that. You might like your neck kissed. You might like your inner thighs touched. You might like, you know, things really slow or really fast. So the more information that you have about your body, the more that you can also help someone guide um, their own touch, their own licks, their own kisses in ways that you like and that are affirming for you. Often we get touched in ways that are too fast or too slow, or it's just not what we need. And it's difficult to help redirect someone because we're worried that we're going to hurt their feelings. We're worried that they're going to feel rejected. And especially for them, well, for women, there's a big challenge of we've taught to communicate in ways that are non-threatening. So we don't want to just say, hey, a little bit to the left. You know, we want to be like, well, I'm not sure how you feel about it, but I like, you know, and and it really becomes disempowering for us. And then for men, they're taught that all of their sexual prowess is in their penis. And men have hot spots other than their, their penis as well. They have necks that like to be kissed. They have nipples. They have chests. They have backs. And so it's really a disservice to kind of um, see things in, in such a narrow way for pleasure. So expanding that erotic pleasure, like seeing like, do, do you like your scalp scratch? Do you like... Like, you know, kind of soft touch or hard touch that can really help to get to know your body in a way that you can then share it with people um, much more mindfully that it serves you. Mm. I love that you touched on something that I was just about to get to that. You know, if there is something we want to explore and maybe we've grown up, you know, sexually repressed or we haven't kind of gone there yet and we'd like to, how can we communicate this to our partner without hurting their feelings? Because I know when we had like a chat about having this episode, you mentioned that a lot of people were asking you that question as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of shame around our fantasies and desires, whether it's a fantasy of a threesome or whether it's just, I want you to go down on me and you don't do this thing. Um, I think it's important to have this conversation outside of a sexual situation. So in the middle of, of something, you can't be like, hey, why don't you ever go down on me? You know, I think that's something that you can do during um, a, a non-sexual time with your partner where you just say, hey, babe, like, can we just check in about, you know, sexy stuff? Like, I want to make sure your needs are being met 
said, I kind of have some things I want to talk about. Like, do you feel up to that? And that can feel like a really tough conversation, even if you've been married to someone for like 10 years. And um, so you may want to text it to someone. You may want to have this conversation in a way, whatever communication feels best for you. Now, the person receiving this information, it's also important that they don't immediately go to, that's gross. I don't want to do it. That's awful. We should approach each other with a, a sense of curiosity. And so be like, oh, okay, so this is really bugging you that I don't go down on you. Can you tell me kind of more about it? And I might say, oh, yeah, it's like really hard for me to orgasm just from like penis and vagina. I need this, this, and this. So it allows people to kind of have a conversation that's broader than just sexual activities because we fuck with our feelings, right? Like there's, it's not just about sensual mm -hmm. stuff. Otherwise I could just rub the chair while I'm talking to you and have an orgasm. And that's the friction of that is not going to do something unless right. I engage my erotic imagination. Um, and for, for mm -hmm. lots of people, these kinds of conversations just feel really exposing, but they're so worth it. Like the investment in them is so worth it. it it's awkward and then it's great. Yeah. Uh, I, you know, I, I feel like there would be sometimes, cause I think that's amazing. I, I, you know, awkward, but great. And also as well, I feel like you, you reach a new level of your relationship. It's like when you have an argument and then you kind of make up, you, you unpeel another layer of somebody and you're like, Oh, I haven't seen this part where we're vulnerable and we make up or, you know, we connect emotionally and then we connect physically after that kind of shake up. Um, and what if we're in the situation where somebody is kind of a bit nasty about it and a bit like, well, because I'm, I mean, I'm sure that's happening out there to some people. So, absolutely, absolutely, and I think that the response to that also, um, it will, it will be the same in in some situations, and then it'll be different in some situations. So the the same is that it's always important to honor your own feelings, even if somebody else invalidates them. So, so at that point, you may need to go talk to a friend. You may need to journal. You may need to do something to affirm that this is your reality and that you didn't just get gaslit into not liking what you like or like feeling like, oh, well, this I'm asking for too much or, oh, my God, I don't want to do sex the way everyone does sex. Um, and then the mm. second thing is it really depends on how invested you are in the relationship. I think I've had hookups where we've agreed to do certain things and then they're here and they don't want to do the thing anymore. And I'm like, time to go. Right. Like, it's not like I can do yeah. it better and I don't have to change my sheets. So there's <laughs> there's yeah. always the option to like pack pack up your bags and be like, no, this is not good. Um, if it's someone you're more invested in working out things with, I mean, there there are opportunities to kind of say, okay, well, this is this is kind of making me upset. Let's take a break and revisit this. It's really important to me. There's also, mm. I work with so many couples that bring in sex coaches like myself or sex therapists in order to work through this, this area because all it does if we leave it unresolved is build resentment. And that's when we get people saying mm -hmm. they're in, you know, dead bedroom situations, their partner doesn't want to sex with them, but they want to feel desire. They want to feel this. Well, you know, what are we bringing to the table? Like, what are we offering each other? And if you're worried about something like, um, I had someone who's really worried about, um, menstrual blood and and they were like I don't want to have sex during you know my partner's menstruation and this is a really big deal for me and I was like well is it all blood or is it menstrual blood because there there's a distinction there like if you're like have a phobia of blood that's really different than feeling that menstrual blood is like unhygienic or that this is you know someone's like mm. dirty time and so I think like getting into mm -hmm. the the kind of underlying motivations for things can open up more possibilities but we often stop the conversation at I want this I don't and then it, <laughs> it kind of goes in different directions so think about is your pleasure being centered 
by you and by your partner and by the relationship is and how do you feel about it not being centered i think when we raise our standards for what we deserve that also changes our responses to things Mm, I love that when we change. Yeah. Well, when we change our, uh, what we deserve. Oh, I love that. I love that. Okay. Um, our standards of what we deserve. That's what I was, oh man. Okay. (laughs) I feel like this is so important because I remember having sex. I mean, I mean, I've had sex a lot, but remember having sex this one day and it was just amazing. And I was laying on the bed thinking, literally thought how much better would the world be if everybody was in this orgasm glow? Like, there's, you know, nothing bothers you. You're just like, life's amazing. Every fiber of my body feels incredible. My mind feels clear. I just feel, somehow I feel hydrated. <laughs> I just feel amazing. I'm just like, this is so great. And, you know, and to, to not have that, I can certainly see how that would be, you know, life would kind of be irritating, you know? Yeah. All right. Let's talk about, um, let's talk about kink. Um, can you give us a definition of kink for those who might not know? And what are some ways to approach, um, some kinky things that you might want to do with your partner? I mean, I know we've covered a lot of that actually, so maybe we, we might need to, I guess, go into deeper into kinks that once you explain what kinks are, like some kinks that may be a little bit, I guess, uh, out of the ordinary. Sure. Yeah. Um, So kink usually refers to anything that we think is not normal sex and normal sex or or like conventional sex actually changes depending where you are in the world. It changes depending, you know, we Mm. it depends on the timing. I mean, we used to think that same sex sex wasn't normal sex, you know, sex with pregnant people Mm -hmm. wasn't normal sex. And now all of that is normalized in many places. Um, But for example, in the UK, they had banned faces sitting porn. And for a lot of us, we're like face sitting. That's not kinky, you know? So um, (laughs) kink usually involves kind of this creative aspect of role play or bringing in kind of a different vibe. So that might be power, that might be roles, it might be dirty talk, it might be activities or embodiments of things. Um, And kink usually gets talked about through fetishes. And so fetishes are when people are interested in a particular um, object that isn't normally sexual and they feel it's imbued with like sexual arousal for them. So it's actually a a turn on for something like a shoe to show up in in their world. Um, And then BDSM is the other part of kink. And so BDSM is bondage, uh, discipline, dominance, submission, sadism, and masochism. And so those can all be part of kink, or you can kind of just want to put on some kitten ears and purr around and take on the aspects of like a cat and and be very feline in your sexual expression. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. What if this is kind of coming out of left feel for someone and they're like, okay, we've been to, let's say we've been together for 10 years and are like, I love having sex with you, but I want to kind of mix it up a little bit. And, you know, and someone was having a conversation about kink and I'd love to kind of explore that. I mean, I guess, you know, we covered a lot with, you know, that judgment from your partner, but I guess, it, I mean, I guess it would open up again, a new onion layer of like, oh, let's explore this together because, you know, I've never done this before. Or, or let's say like even someone who hasn't tried anal for the first time, like, I'm not sure, I'm, I'm not sure that's kink, but, um, you know, just something like that that's kind of, uh, I guess, scary and exciting. Yeah. Yeah. I think anal would, would be um, considered kinky for, for some people. And it doesn't matter even if it's anal, if it's that you want to pee on your partner, if it's that you want your partner to spank you, if it's that you want to use rope. Um, a lot of people come into these conversations by saying, hey, Talia, so can you tie me up? And And that really is is kind of shocking because for the person receiving that information, there is a mix of, oh my God, 
I don't know how to do this. <laughs> you know, am I going to be good <laughs> yes. at this? Am I going right. to be the fantasy that that you want? You might also have a reaction of like, oh my God, why are you into that? Did something happen to you in your childhood? And now you're into this yes. thing and now you're all messed up mm -hmm. and you're going to want to have all kinds of weird sex. Um, and so it's important that when you come to talk to your partner about your fantasy, that you tell a story about your fantasy. And so if I say I want to get spanked, I might say, hey, babe, you know, I've, I've sometimes fantasized about getting spanked. And I think it's kind of hot because it's so playful. And I think about your hand on my bum and I'm not really into pain, but I like the idea of kind of being more playful and maybe being naughty for you. You know, what do you think of that? And be prepared for your partner to also say, you know, yeah, like, thank you for sharing that with me, but I don't know. Like, I need to think about it. I may need to do a little bit of research about it. I might be the one that wants to be spanked, you know, and so there, there opens up this curious, erotic conversation. And if you told me that story, I would ask a ton of questions. I would say, oh, what are you wearing in this fantasy? You know, and, and who's there? Is there anybody else there? And do you like being called a name in this fantasy? So we want to get to know each other's stories versus the sexual activity, because the sexual activity or the kinky activity it's just the vessel. I could pick up spanking and do it playfully or mm. for pain or for punishment or for because you have a great butt, um, you know, or because it's part of a teacher student role play or because you like flog. You know, there's like 15 different versions of spanking that, that we could come up with right now. And um, giving your partner a story gives them mm -hmm. more things to grasp onto. They're like, okay, I'm not into spanking, but I mm -hmm. love the idea of being naughty. Can we come up with other ways to make you feel naughty? Mm -hmm. I love that. This sounds like such a healthy conversation. Ugh, oh, awesome. Um, yeah. What would you say? Uh, what would you say to people in partnerships experiencing sexual dysfunction, and and what are some useful ways to move through this and support your partner while still having your your needs met? Yeah, yeah. I think this is something that's really challenging for a lot of people on average years, and I think during. Um, changes to our world during the pandemic, there's also been of changes to our relationships and how we feel about each other and how our bodies work and how we feel about our bodies. And so whether someone is struggling with um, a physical challenge like erectile dysfunction or maybe vaginal dryness, um, or someone struggling with uh, more of the desire and wanting to, to connect to sexually and maybe just not feeling like being sexual or both. It, it's really important to keep the conversation and the communication open so that even if we're not finding solutions about it, we should still be kind of checking in and talking with each other about it. It's very frustrating for one partner to sort of be the one kind of hovering around like, are you ready to do it yet? Are you ready to do it yet? And the other partner always having to bat that person away and probably feeling pretty guilty about not being able to participate in the relationship in, in the way that they want or feeling resentful that that their partner isn't, you know, um, showing up in the way that they would like them to. And for the partner who's not having anything um, or who's not receiving the, the kind of sexual needs that they would like, I also think that there's um, a tendency and it might come from a place of care. It might come from a place of, of wanting to, to be supportive, but to minimize those needs. Um, I was in a sexless marriage and I wasn't the one having sex. Um, uh, my partner wasn't interested in sex. And it was such a blow to my self-esteem, to my like sense of attractiveness, to... And we didn't have good communication. I didn't have me at now at then. And so um, it was just like a whole bunch of resentment brewing all the time. 
And looking back, like the way I would have done it differently Mm -hmm. was also try to talk about solutions that were mutually beneficial. And so maybe that's, you know, um, you know, dedicated, like if you, if I know you're going to masturbate and I'm not in the mood for it, maybe I'm going to set you up a lovely bath so that you can relax and touch yourself in private in the bath. And I'm going to support you in that way because I want you to feel sexy, even though I don't. And so really coming up together with ways mm. that that you can, it doesn't have to be like, well, you go do you. I'm dealing with like my own health issues over here. Um, that can really help move people through a very difficult situation. Mm. And, and what point do we go, okay, um, I've kind of had enough. I can't do this anymore. There's not enough communication that's kind of uh, useful communication that's actually giving us any sort of results or any care. Um, when's it kind of time to exit and how do we navigate that in kind of a way that stays true to ourselves without being I guess mean about it yeah yeah I think I think often when we want to leave relationships like it takes a lot of courage it takes a lot of courage even to decide like is this the thing that that we want to leave for and um, mm-hmm. I think it's important to kind of take stock of, of what you have em- emotionally invested in and, and what's available to you and what's not available to you. And so if what's available to you is a great friend, a great domestic partner, you know, all these other kinds of things, is there a way that this re- relationship can transition? Like, can you become ethically non-monogamous? Can you like, you know, be friends? Can you separate in ways? I think that I came to the point where I was like, oh, like this isn't, you know, I don't know. Like, can I live my life like this? Like, can I, can I live in this way? And also, I I don't think anyone ever intends to be really cruel, but it felt really cruel to me. It felt like, oh my God, like I'm expected to just sort Mm. of live in this way. And there was nothing my my partner could do, but um, a, a lot of times people will shut down in that, in that space. And there's so much shame about not being able to perform for our partners, not being able to be there for our partners in this way. Um, that we, we kind of close off to any solution. We close off to therapy. We close off to sensuality. We close off to, you know, keeping the communication open. And so if you feel that there are no more doors to hold open, then that's a pretty good sign that, you know, you feel like you've tried, the options are out there. You've said everything. You may also seek help your, yourself and see how you can be strong um, in your own commitment to your needs and what that would look like, whether that's leaving, whether that's taking a break. Yeah, I feel like we get so caught up in what we've got that we forget that there's actually a lot of other options out there. And even though yes. I do know it is harder now with with COVID and, you know, internet dating, which is not for everybody because it's exhausting, <laughs> but, you know, there are other options available. And like you said, it, it's incredibly hard. I mean, it's not you know, an easy decision, I think. Yeah. Yeah. And if it was your Tinder hookup, who's like not, you know, doing it for you and you still care about them. I mean, it's still okay to say this isn't for me and, and, you know, and thank you. Like our chemistry was great, you know, but, but I need to kind of move on and that's okay too. It's okay Mm -hmm. to, to leave things, whether they're short-term or long-term, um, having, having your own, sense of of pleasure and getting that met is is super important and often we're just told like oh there's other parts of a person that yeah and that's true but this is also a big part yeah it's interesting I get for me sex is such an important part of a relationship like it's not the most important part but it's certainly up there and I've spoken to other people about it and they're like oh it's not that important for me and I I mean each to their own for sure but I'm just kind of I can't imagine it not being an important part. I guess everybody has different needs in terms of physical touch and intimacy. Uh, but for me, it's just such a, such a connector. 
And when mm. you when you miss that connector, especially if you're in a monogamous relationship, it's like, well, I'm not doing that with anybody else. So if I don't get it from you, like I don't get, I, you know, I don't get it from anyone. And, yes. you know, so how do we, yeah, so I've got to decide, okay, how important is this? Absolutely. <sighs> mm. But I think also as well, like, you know, uh, I've certainly had the experience of obviously clicking in bed with some people more than others. So how, okay, let's, let's say, let's say we're in the scenario where we meet a, an amazing person to partner with and they've got everything except <laughs> the sexual chemistry. Is sexual chemistry something that we can manufacture? Yeah, absolutely. Um, sexual chemistry, uh, people kind of de- describe sexual chemistry and like new relationship energy as the same thing. Cause you're excited about somebody, this person's new, you know, like everything is new. Everything's like so exciting. You're like dopamine is just firing like crazy. And then we start to build different kinds of intimacy over time. And so you might find that with someone, um, some people are slow to warm. Like they really take time to be able to trust someone before they can open up in ways that they feel sexually free. Other people are like, "Mm, no, damn, like, let's do this. This is great. Um, And then they kind of run out of of things to do. They want to be able to keep things like super exciting and everything has to be like super crazy all the time. And um, both are, are kind of, challenging. I mean, both are, both could be challenging in, in their own way, but you can definitely cultivate this, this sexual, um, excitement, even if you've been together, you know, 50 years or 20 years. And that's where kink does play such a great role. And even if you're not kinky, but using your erotic imagination so that you're not just sort of going through the menu, you know, when you're with someone and it's like, you just kiss and then maybe someone touches your nipples and then maybe they must go down on you. And then it's just some sort of penetration and that gets old really quickly. And mm. so we, we want to also decenter yeah. things in, in sex. So maybe de- try decentering penetration. What would it be like if you made out for hours with like skin to skin and no, you know, just your underwear on like back to that, like kind of youthful, mm. you know, tease kind of uh, feeling. And so developing that, that attraction to each other, that sexual chemistry, can come from learning together, from playing erotically together, from exploring erotically together, from giggling, farting and laughing, like all that stuff also makes us more comfortable in our bodies with our partners. And and we get to open up more and learn about ourselves. Like we don't stay the same sexually either. What I liked at like 12 is, you know, touching myself is not what I like, you know, at 41. Okay. And we don't know. And also as well, I think when people think kink, they think, oh, you know, these extreme kind of things, but we can start small, right? Like, um, like I read an article the other day of this famous couple were like, would they go out together and then pretend they were meeting for the first time? Would, would that be considered kink? Totally. That's role play. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and you're and right. Like that's, we- that's how they kept it alive. Yeah, I love that. I I think you're so right. We see, especially from porn, porn shows us like the most extreme version because it's the most entertaining version. But kink could be, you know, you could tie your partner up or even tell them to hold their hands behind their head and don't move them until you give them an orgasm with your mouth. And so that's a form of control. That's like, oh, someone's Mm. like taking control. Someone's controlling my orgasms and I'm in psychological bondage. I got to just stay here till they tell me otherwise. So you don't even Mm. need gear. You don't need to buy things. You don't need to go get paddles. You don't need to get leather or lace or whatever. You can just use your imagination. Yeah. uh, Awesome. This is so great. I love it. (laughs) I love even just talking about this. Hopefully this has prompted some ideas for, for some people. Okay. So uh, you have this really nice quote on your Instagram account that reads, part of sexual confidence is about uh, freeing yourself from self-judgment about your body, performance and desires. So 
you know, I imagine that this is really easier said than done. I mean, I think the harshest, our harshest critic is ourselves. <laughs> so where, I mean, where do we even start with that? How do we even <laughs> begin if we're so used to kind of bashing ourselves up? How do we, how do we even stop or start to stop? Yeah. One thing that, that I practice and that I often tell people helps them with their erotic confidence is um, having these daily practices where you connect to your erotic self in a non-sexual way. So your erotic self is, is the same kind of energy that you bring out when you bring out your creative self. So whether you're an artist or you're good at problem solving or whatever, all that is the same as erotic energy. So it could mean that when you're brushing your teeth, maybe you meet your eyes in the mirror and you meet your own gaze and you give yourself a wink or you smile at yourself with like a frothy mouth and you're giving yourself permission to feel yourself. You're giving yourself permission to be like, mm, yes, I exist. I am here. I am like, there is nothing that I'm judging myself about now. I'm just meeting my own gaze. Our gaze has been stolen. So every time you go out and you felt cute when you were leaving the house and then you caught a glimpse of yourself somewhere or you didn't fit in a chair properly or something, all of a sudden, where did that cute feeling go? You look the same as you left the house, but our gaze is really trained to only see certain things as sexy and acceptable and attractive. And so the more that you meet your own gaze, the more that you see more fun, more joy, more, you know, even sensuality and not necessarily just sexuality, that starts to build up this layer of, of joy and goodness. You, it's like a chalice. You're filling up this big cup. And so your cup isn't empty by the time you go into a sexual situation. So that helps with self-judgment because you're building this buffer against all of those thoughts. Another thing that, that's useful is to um, find ways to be intentionally erotic for yourself. And so that might mean you dress up for masturbation. I used to put on heels for masturbation because I'm like, I'm not going to wear these anywhere else. And, <laughs> and you might want, I own knee pads because I like dancing around the, on the floor like a stripper just for me. I don't put a mirror on. I don't care what it looks like, but just be able to like feel yourself, like move. Um, you might want to shower by candlelight. That's a really simple one and see how that changes your experience and your sensations on your body. When you're washing the dishes is another moment to be intentionally sensual because you can take in the smell of the suds. What does the warm water feel like? We want to get into our, our felt senses and our sensory abilities. These are like little portals of pleasure. And the more that we can open up to those, the more that they're going to get filled with erotic evidence when we're in sexual situations. A lot of times we're kind of just like, here's our genitals, let's have sex. You know, but there, there's so much more that, that can unfold. So that self-judgment, I mean, sometimes it gets... Um, a lot of people want our partners to to affirm it for us and to be like, Talia, you're the most beautiful person I've ever seen. You know, that only goes so far because a lot of us can't mm. even receive those compliments. You're going to tell me you mm -hmm. like my shirt and I'm going to say this whole thing. I've had it for like five years. You know, we can't just say, yes, this is my yeah. color. Thank you. Right. Like, so <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's really tough. So I think like building those those connections and finding ways that um, feel playful and sensual in your body can help you be more gentle with judgment. And and do you think that um, because, I, you know, I just every time I um, I hear you speak and I'm and speaking to you now, you just ooze this confidence. And it's kind of like, you know, I always talk about being in your own corner and, uh, you know, you are such a beautiful example of that. You are in your own corner. You're just like, you know, I'm here. I'm, you know, I'm in, I'm on, I'm on the stage, but I'm also in the stands cheering myself along. And I love mm -hmm. that. And I, and 
So are all the things that you were just speaking about, about self-judgment, are they confidence? Are they the things that you would kind of cite as building your confidence as well? Or where did that start? Like how did Luna from 10 years ago grow into Luna now? Yeah. Yeah. And thank you for that. Thank you. Cause I don't, I don't always feel that way, but I, I definitely have a closer, um, I know how to get back home. You know, I think I can wander mm. from my self-confidence, but I know the way back home and it's helped me be, I get disappointed with sex just like everybody else does, but I don't get devastated anymore. I don't get like, Oh my God, mm. he left me. And now no one's ever going to love me again. Um, and I think it started after I got divorced. I, I definitely thought I am determined as fuck to fall in love with myself. And I think I'm still on that journey, but I, I was like, I am someone who gets into relationships and I enmesh myself in the other person. I lose myself. And so I thought I got to be a better friend to myself. How can I like come into this space um, this new space. And, um, it was, it was actually kink. It was discovering my queerness. It was, you know, finding communities like burlesque where like people were just so liberated and I wanted to be one of these liberated mm. people. And I think for me, the path is really like coming into connection where I'm my own best friend and that I'm okay with that. And, and then being able to let other people in, but into this relationship, um, so definitely taking burlesque classes mm. really helped me because it was something new and it was pushing my body to move in ways that I didn't think it deserved. I was like, no, no, no. Burlesque is for skinny people. Mm. It's for white women. It's like not something for me. And, um, burlesque teaches you the exact opposite is like, you know, seduction is an art and, and actually it's less about what you look like. Mm. Like that's actually not that interesting. It's how you're decorating and moving and expressing. Um, the other thing that, that really helped me was taking sex ed classes. So when I left my marriage, I wasn't yet teaching and, um, I started going to a bunch of classes and so building skills so that I felt confident. I had not been taught the correct language for vulvas. I had not been taught where the clitoris was. Like, so we're missing a lot of this information as adults. And then the third thing that that really helped me was also looking at who I was attracted to. So a lot of times we internalize things like fat phobia. We internalize things like misogyny. And so I was going after all of the conventionally mm. who were mainly like tall, white, cisgendered men. And I was like, do I like him or is he just like tall and white? Like, I don't know. And so I actually had to challenge my own right. kind of um, attraction and be like, why am I not like swiping on someone who's 5'4"? And for me, it was a lot about I wanted to be the smaller person. And that's what patriarchy tells us is that I'm going to be more feminine, more attractive, mm -hmm. more palatable if I'm smaller than my partner. And so once we start to like get all those like hooks out of us, it's so much easier to find space to love ourselves. But we have to interrogate our standards of attractiveness. We have to interrogate our standards of, of what we put up with in dating and relationships and what we actually want. And we have to like set new standards for our pleasure. So my first question to people on as soon as like the conversation starts getting sexual, I'm like, do you eat pussy like a champ? Otherwise, we don't need to be talking. So figure out like what your deal breakers are. <laughs> Right. I'm like, if you any other answer than like, fuck, yes. I'm like, out of here. Hygiene out of here. Feelings out of here. Like. <laughs> I love that. Yes, that's right. You know what you want. I love it. <laughs> oh, my gosh. That was that was super helpful. Thank you so much. Um, I know that you offer a bunch of really helpful online lessons, as you've mentioned, and workshops around. These are just a few, by the way, uh, G-spots and squirting, daddy role play, prostate pleasure, 
how to be a femdom, blowjob techniques and, uh, and, and some butt stuff as well, as we mentioned before. Um, what have you found to be the most popular lessons? I think maybe you said the threesome one. Was it, was it the threesome one? Or? Threesome, super popular. Um, butt stuff is so popular that now I have an anal sex podcast that's only about butt stuff. <laughs> what is my life? <laughs> And, um, and then actually oh <laughs> the penis pleasure skills and the, um, eat pussy like a champ are really popular. So people are really into oral, I think, because a lot of the technique that we see on porn for oral, nobody is actually orgasming from, right? Like, it, like no one's coming oh, from no. pornolingus, like, like that's, nobody's ever coming from that. So I think no. it's, it's a good sign. I feel like I'm doing the world a good service and my Catholic school teachers, you know, <laughs> a good service by teaching cunnilingus. <laughs> <laughs> totally i remember i remember uh, having sex with some guys when i was younger and i'd be like where is the fire what is the rush yeah like, i don't get what like where did you learn that you have to like <laughs> rush or be a jackhammer like this is not helpful this is not good you know like I, does anybody yeah. like this i don't i don't know nobody I mean, there's a time and a place that, yeah <laughs> I'm just like, oh my gosh. Okay. So anybody listening, all right, I, I'm, we're going to get into it before we finish up. Like, um, before we finish up, actually, I want to find out, um, tell us a little bit about Peg the Patriarchy. Cause I think your brand names are fabulous by the way. Oh, thank <laughs> so, you. Oh, that's so good. So for anyone who doesn't know, can you tell us what pegging is? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so pegging <laughs> uh, was a term that was coined by Dan Savage, who's another sex educator, uh, in the U.S. in the early 2000s. And basically, he had to come up with a name for cisgendered men who were receiving anal sex from a cisgendered woman and who was strapping it on. So this was a lot in response to the homophobia that cis men face when they're interested in anal pleasure. And so it, they, they've been told it makes them gay or that it says something about their sexual orientation. So they had this word that was kind of subverting a lot of these ideas about who gets penetrated, who gets to be the one giving it, you know, what does it mean to have anal play? So um, for we've, we've kind of evolved beyond that, too. Anybody can strap it on. Any, everyone's got a butthole. So anyone can take a strap on up their butt including if you already have a penis attached. Mm -hmm. And um, Peg the Patriarchy came to me because I wanted to combine this like connection of my desire for social equity and like sexy erotic things. And so Peg the Patriarchy is this idea about subverting this system because the, the, the fantasy of pegging is all about subversion. And so with patriarchy, it teaches us to be obedient to the patriarchy. It teaches us to be submissive and, and patriarchy affects all genders. But in specific, we want to talk about like reverting this power so that it also isn't oppressing uh, men under the patriarchy who aren't allowed to express emotion and who aren't allowed to like mm -hmm. have feelings or like flowers or pink, you know, like there's so much nonsense. So we need to kind of turn this system mm -hmm. on its head so that we can find more collective equity in um, something that is subverted, something that isn't prioritizing pleasure in the way that that patriarchy does. Yeah, this is like uh, many lifetimes of work, huh? <laughs> Yeah, it really um, is. <laughs> it really is. It really is. Um, Luna, thank you so much. It's been such a pleasure. I have thoroughly enjoyed this conversation and I feel like we could just talk for hours. Um, so if people want to find out more about you and your courses and, you know, threesomes and butt stuff, how can they do that? 
Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, you can find me at lunamitadas.com. And on Instagram, I'm also lunamitadas. And uh, you can listen to my podcast sponsored by B-Vibe, all about anal pleasure. It's called The Plug. And so you can find that on any... The, I'm going to plug The Plug. You can find it on <laughs> wherever you listen to podcasts. <laughs> and if you're interested in Peg the Patriarchy, you can head to pegthepatriarchy.com and you will find shirts and stickers. I just launched crop tops. So there's like so much goodness you can wear your message. Um, but thank you so much for having me. This was a lovely conversation and I love talking about these, these topics and I hope it was informative and inspirational for everyone listening to Oh, absolutely. It totally was. And for anyone listening, you can find all the links mentioned in this episode at rebellove.com forward slash EP31. Luna, thank you so much. Again, you are a legend and your work is so important and just so useful and, and helpful. And I really appreciate you. Thank you for being here. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Rebel Love Podcast, the podcast about love, sex, relationships, and money. If you like this episode, please support us by subscribing and leaving a review on your favorite podcast platform and find all the details of this episode and more at rebellove.com forward slash podcast.